coming up. What an excellent day for mispronunciation. A mispronunciation. Mispronunciation. That's 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 what I meant. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 50 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so, our minute begins with Dr. Klein saying, it can last for days, even weeks. And it ends with a nurse applying a blood pressure cuff to Reagan's arm. Oh, wait, wait, hang on. Reagan? Are you sure it's not Regan? I mean, mm. we've only been doing this for 50 episodes now. <laughs> we'll get to that. But uh, for now, let's get back to the top of this minute here. Uh, what Klein is referring to here is what he believes to be a lesion in the temporal lobe of Reagan's brain. He says it's very common and can last days, even weeks. Now, from what I can see, a lesion, when in reference to to the brain can mean an area of damaged brain tissue. I at first thought it meant a cut or some kind of open wound, but I guess it can also be an abnormal growth or or just affected brain tissue. Um, Strokes are a type of lesion, for example, uh, which after talking with Keenan about how fragile and yielding the brain is, even more so than, say, jello, that just makes me even more scared. Well, maybe maybe my jello comparison is a little overstated, but you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you could pick it up, but maybe you shouldn't. Mm. (laughs) Your own brain thinking about your own brain (laughs) don't press too hard (laughs) when you're holding your own brain (laughs) you can pick your nose you can pick your friend Mm -hmm. you can pick your friend's nose you can pick someone else's brain uh, (laughs) but don't pick your own brain and don't press too hard yeah i never understood that you can't pick your friend's nose of course you can yeah try Mm -hmm. me Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seems like a dare when when you yeah. when a little kid says that. Of course Try to stop me. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so which like I guess like being scared and uncomfortable is appropriate mm-hmm. for this minute. This is a minute to be scared in. We've got a lot of scary stuff in this minute. But funny thing is, if if anything can be funny here, um, it has nothing to do with Captain Howdy. Unless I guess you account for the fact that he's like putting Reagan through all of this just for his own amusement, uh, for the lulls, as the kids say. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. I mean, that that's uh, that's really mean. That's almost worse than any of the other stuff he does to her. Right, <laughs> physical pain that he's doing there. That's awful. Yeah. Because um, if, if you think about it, right, like he he could just go on like full on possession mode. He could get right to the end of the movie, but he's taking his time. Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, I guess some people would say, like, oh, he needs to he needs time to sort of you know do his magic or to become he's becoming stronger through her, right? And oh, get maybe, to that yeah. place, yeah. But um, but yeah, I wonder about these sequences. Like, is he is he just hiding out? You know, does he just like is he is he here? Does he go away somewhere? I don't know. Mm, yeah, just laying low because if he's in there, then he has to endure some of this nasty stuff that I'm sure even um, even if you're an ancient uh, Sumerian uh, demon of some kind, you don't like the kind of things that you're about to go through here. Well, I mean, that raises the question of whether or not <laughs> he can feel it. You know, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, there is we're going to we're going to look at uh, a later scene where um, Reagan gets hypnotized and mm-hmm. there's that whole idea of like, well, you know, if Reagan dies, won't you die? And, and mm-hmm. he says no. So I don't know. 
Um, and then like, you know, just given all the stuff that he does with like the, you know, the head twisting and the, you know, the contortions and, and the mm-hmm. vomiting and everything like that. I don't know if he can feel any of that. But he um, can, he can hear things, right? <laughs> he can hear these giant loud clap, clong, clong, clong. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. He can definitely, <laughs> he can definitely hear and see right. everything that Reagan hears and sees. Right. But right. Hey, maybe, maybe down in hell, right? Like their choice of music, their style of music is exactly that. It's just horrible <laughs> MRI sounds and dial up tones mm-hmm. and, you know, the clanking of pots and pans and he's like ah yeah this is some good chamber music or something mm-hmm. like that. do you have we we didn't plan on asking each other this uh, do you mm-hmm. have a, a least favorite and do you have a noise that gets on your you know really gets your goat oh that's a good question um, like I, I was dating someone once and she she uh, had trouble um you know she didn't like hearing other people eat that was like oh, <laughs> it was like oh god i just don't want to hear slurping and, and straw noises and stuff and, <laughs> and I, I had no idea that was anything that could bother anybody so i would just you know bom, bom, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and she had to tell me like please please try to you know keep that keep that to yourself as much as possible <laughs> that would be the easy listening channel in hell <laughs> just like people eating it's like, I'm not even going to do it because actually, so tell the truth, Keenan, um, mm-hmm. that's actually one of my like, uh, like, well, no, no, when I'm when I'm listening to a podcast I'm uh-huh. putting myself, I'm putting myself in the hot seat right, right. now um, when I'm listening to a podcast and I can hear or or like, you know, like a- any kind of like um, voiceover thing. And I can hear those like wet, mushy, you know, mouth sounds and everything. like. And I'm being so careful not to make any right now mm-hmm. just because I, you know, called myself out. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's things you got to do like, um, you know, a trade secret is to to eat green apples right before, which oh, I mm. forgot mine today, great <laughs> of all days. We're talking about like horrible sounds. Um, so yeah, to, it kind of like sucks all the, you know, the, the gross moisture out of your mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's that. There's, oh, I don't know. Like slamming doors is something that really, really oh, bugs me. But it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I would almost even say it's like a, like, like not an unpleasant sound, but almost like a, like a trigger almost. Mm-hmm, right. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you watch, if you watch me very, very closely, like when I close doors, like I kind of like let them fall into place almost until the end. And then I catch them and then I close them really, really, really softly. Yeah. I, I um, like doing that too. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I guess I, I, I do have that thing with slamming or not slamming doors for me. Not like, like, you know, someone taking it and going full swing, but yeah, just sort of careless, uh, door closing. Right. 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 Yeah. Cause, Cause it always sounds louder than you intended to mm-hmm. sound, right? Mm-hmm. Like if there's a window open or if like the, there's an airflow or something like, and then people are like, was well, like, Hey, are you okay? Are you angry? No, oh, no. Yeah, uh-huh. I just like, I, my hand slipped and the, and the door slammed <laughs> um, and we live in a house with wood flooring and, and wood paneling <laughs> walls and everyone, you know, is just echoing all over the place. Yeah. yeah I, so I, I'm a lecturer at college and, and mm. so I'm, I'm often in these big lecture halls with like um, sometimes, sometimes 200 people, that's not uncommon for me to, you know, talk to, you know, um, my, my big class is usually like 150 people. Sometimes it's up to 200, 240 people. And I have, um, I have picked up this pet peeve that, uh, when I was a student, uh, my teacher would say, and I was like, Oh, come on, man, who cares? <laughs> but, mm. but like the whispering when you're up there, because the way that the, um, the, the rooms are designed, like right. students whispering to each other is, is very, very distracting in a way that I don't think you could understand unless you were on the other side of the room. Yes. Um, yeah, the, the room is not set up to, to buffer it exactly. It sort mm-hmm. of, um, pushes it towards you, but it's very indistinct. 
So, yes. so you know, it, it, my so my teacher when I was in college said, I said, please avoid side conversations because you sound like little rats. You sound. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a hard way of putting it. But but now that I've seen it, it is. Yeah, you hear people having, you know, sometimes incredibly. I mean, you know, sometimes they're goofing around, or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know, and that could be like, oh, I'm disrespected or whatever. I don't feel that, but but um, but sometimes it's like you know, even legitimate, like, hey, what was that? Can you do you have a pencil or whatever? But it, it sounds like. <laughs> And yeah, they sound like little rats. <laughs> and that's what I like. That's what I sounded like when I was a snotty, you know, twenty-year-old. Yeah. Go, come on, man, just, just, just move on, move on with the program. I now I can now all I can imagine is like you're up there giving a lecture, mm-hmm. and you know, like way, way up, up high in the back in the little stadium <laughs> seats. It's like, Gosh, I really like this professor. He yeah. has a lot of great things to say. He's exactly. so brilliant and so wonderful. And, and you're just like, shut up. Oh, my God. You rat-faced bastards <laughs> in the back. <laughs> yeah, and just to be clear, so in case any of my students listen, I have, I have you know, pitch it to my students to please listen to our show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, like uh, I, I try very hard to to empathize with the students there. And, and like, if someone is on their phone, you know, mm-hmm. texting or whatever while I'm lecturing, I try, I, I've worked for years to try to be like, it's nothing personal you know some of them you know there might be things going on and i had a friend who um in grad school would wouldn't be able to pay attention to the lecture unless she was playing candy crush in her other screen so she had a screen where she would type and she had a screen where she was playing candy crush and if she if she had forgotten that and didn't play candy crush she would have trouble following the the notes so i was like oh okay i I believe you i completely i could see that yeah yeah and that's the thing like i've I've known like uh, back in the day uh kids would get in trouble. They would be labeled as like daydreamers or whatever mm-hmm. if they were drawing in class, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they were drawing like in the margins of the the notebook or whatever, right? But that's actually just, that's that's a way for them to process like what's going on. They are listening. It's just like a, um, like a, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like an association of the hand and, and the ear and the eye yeah. or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Like some people would, would, you know, I fidget, I, you know, I shake my leg and that's just socially acceptable. Yeah. As opposed to, yes, yeah, someone doing something else on their computer or on Facebook at the same time. It's not, not socially acceptable yeah right right the one like the the what would get me mad is if they're like um (laughs) if they're dumb enough to get caught by which i mean (laughs) by which i mean um like you can hear the little typing sound because Mm -hmm. they forgot to put their phone on silent so you just hear (laughs) oh oh that that is definitely one of my noise pet peeves in any situation like Mm -hmm. like hearing someone typing on an iphone Right. Why does that, that sound on? even exist? Nobody uses it. Nobody I, needs it. I don't know. And <laughs> it's very, very annoying to me. That's incredibly, incredibly obnoxious. Um, or the little, the little, um, the camera sound when you take a picture. It's like nobody, <laughs> no, everyone puts that on silent. Nobody ever actually needs that. Like, and I actually, so I was, I was in class and I was trying to take a screenshot of something that I was going to project up onto mm-hmm. the screen. And I've, me, an idiot, forgot to, uh, you know, silence that. And so just, I'm just typing, 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 and you hear, you know, <laughs> And for a second, I thought it was somebody else. Right. And but like, but imagine like you're trying to like like you see something you want to like um like you're on Facebook and you mm-hmm. see like this really funny post and you want to mm-hmm. save it for later. But you're on the subway train and you're mm-hmm. like, I'm going to take a screenshot of this post mm-hmm. and take a screenshot. And the thing makes the stupid camera sound. <laughs> you know, everybody on that train thinks mm-hmm. you're a weirdo. Yeah. You know, because you are pictures of people's feet, right? Yeah, yeah, you left. You are. You are a weirdo. You left your your sound on for some reason. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. What, what kind of weirdo does that? Yeah. Um, well. Anyway, so yeah, perhaps Captain Howdy, um, I don't know, maybe he loves all these terrible noises that yeah. are happening. But 
I love the iPhone texting noise. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. And I love when I'm giving a lecture and the room is full of little little rat face kids. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get me started on these young demons idea of music. Like, ugh. <laughs> it's like new age music in hell. It's just like, bleh, you know. Exactly. <laughs> It's just people saying thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. It's <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so getting back to our favorite doc and his wonderful bedside manner here, right? So we're, we're even before we're, we're in that room with all the noise, right? We're in uh, Dr. Klein's office, question mark, I right. guess by this time we, we, you know, we've decided it is, um, and uh, he, you know, he tries to assure Chris how common a case like Reagan's is, right? But I think he drops the ball here, even as he drops some uh, foreshadowing, uh, when he says it isn't rare to find destructive, even criminal behavior. And is it just me, or is he saying it like he's trying to scare her or impress her? Like, hey, I want you to know what a big scary job this is for me. Mm. I'm a real doctor. I'm dealing with real scary stuff. I'm really brave. Oh yeah, and your daughter's really brave too, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you were saying he's dropping that. I thought you were going to say he's, he's dropping ash because, of course, remember he's smoking as he's coming in here. I just, oh. won't, I just won't ever forget. Yeah, I, I won't let that go. It's just so strange to me to see a doctor smoking in a lab coat, dropping uh, foreshadowing, dropping. <laughs> Ash and, uh, you know, dropping this, uh, dropping the ball in trying to, yes. uh, uh, appease and, and reassure Chris. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah. So Chris gives an exasperated sigh and whether it's at the situation or Dr. Klein's handling of the situation, who can say probably both. Um, and then she says, Hey, do me a favor. Tell me something good. Yeah. Can you tell her something good? Dr. Klein, please. Um, to which our doc replies, don't be alarmed. If it's a lesion in a way, she's fortunate. This guy, has the same lighthearted optimism <laughs> as Uncle Titos has, right? Like, in fact, like I expected like Uncle Titos to come in as a technician at some point. It's like, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> Your daughter, she's a crazy. She's all messed up. No, you don't understand. It's not. It's a brain. It's just got holes in it. Right. We're, we're going to blow her head up like a balloon. We're going <laughs> to drain all the juice from her brain and we're going to put helium in there. It's going to be great. Right. No, those literal holes uh, <laughs> like a mouse maker. <laughs> it's funny. You see, you see. You, you get we'll it. See, you see, yeah. I guess you had to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she, she may actually be fortunate uh, because if it is a lesion, all they have to do is remove that scar. Okay, some actual good news, right? The solution might be more simple than we thought. Okay. I, I think, um, yeah, I think uh, this speaks to your, what we were talking about in previous minutes, uh, um, like the idea that, okay, well, it's not psychiatry, which is difficult and complicated and doesn't work. There's a medical answer for this. So, mm-hmm. you know, cracking open your, well, not cracking open your daughter's skull. Let's be a little nicer. Sawing yeah. open your daughter's yeah. skull. <laughs> <laughs> Sawing open your daughter's skull and, and going in and removing damaged brain tissue. Like, you know, oh, that's awful. And of course you're scared, you know, yes. but it's medicine. It's surgery. It's not psychiatry right. or something cuckoo like that, that we wouldn't know if it'll right. work. Yes. Yes. So, and, and in previous minutes, right. I, I kind of like made it a joke that these doctors are like shitting all over psychiatry, Mm -hmm. but you know, it could very well be a, what would you call that? Like a psychosomatic or, or a physical, like an actual physical problem that does need to be addressed. And back in this time, the only way that they can be sure is by doing this horrible procedure that is going to show the, the brain in like full, uh, rendering or whatever, I guess, you know, so that right. you can like see all the little corners and everything like that. Yeah. And you were talking about, and I'm starting this sentence without remembering where I was going. You were talking about, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me look here. <laughs> 
I once, <laughs> I, I heard from a speech and debate expert kind of guy, you know, uh-huh. and it was like, this is what you do. You say, uh, someone gives you a meeting, uh, you're in a meeting and they're like, here's our problem. You go, okay. All right. The solution to your problem has three parts, part one, and you have the first part. And then you better just be thinking about part two and part three <laughs> while you do it. Cause the rhetoric of that three parts, what first, blah, 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 blah. Second, blah, blah, blah. and third, well, it just makes you sound like like such a genius, <laughs> even if there's even don't have any answer at all. Which is, uh, yeah. <laughs> and third, see parts one and two. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm oh, sorry, sorry. So you were talking, so Lester, you were talking yes. earlier about how um, like a lesion is a, a a stroke is a type of a lesion, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's helpful to know that because, you know, here um, he's explaining to Chris, like, you know, a how a damaged part of a small damaged part in her brain mm-hmm. could make Reagan have a different personality or different aspects of personalities. Right. Right. All of a sudden becoming violent, all of a sudden not being very good at this or, or having skills he didn't think they had before, which is right. common with the stroke. Right. We've um, so, you know, I think we're familiar with like if, if a stroke damages, it frequently damages um, language, uh, language parts of the brain. Right. Language, lang- language centers in the brain. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen like uh, maybe you have um, these these videos of people who um, like this uh, white British woman, I think it was, who had a stroke and then she she wakes up with a Chinese accent. Oh, yeah, it's really interesting. And at first you're like, well, you're making this like, like you just can't fathom it. Right. This poor woman, you're like. Be like, no, that's impossible. But then the doctors have verified, yeah. So she she wakes up with a Chinese accent. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting, so folks. Yeah, I mean, like like I said it before, I said it again. Like like the brain is is still, I think, the final frontier. Like we still have no idea what is what is like inside our head, behind our eyes, in between our ears. Like that is that is. Well, I almost said that is crazy. Like <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's the only way we can think to to explain it. Right. Is, is like, oh, it's just nuts. We can't explain it, right? Right. And w- like we talked before on this show about Mel Blanc, right? And Mel Blanc mm-hmm. having a stroke. Oh, right. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, him changing the voice of, you know, one of his characters, Barney, <laughs> on, on the Flintstones, yeah, right? right? Um, I might have been incorrect uh, back then. I, I, I think I said that like I, he did, he did uh, change the voice, but I, I might have mixed up like which voice was the start of Barney and which voice was the, uh-huh. the, the, you know, one of them, one of them sounds like the Barney, you know, and one of them sounds like Bugs Bunny and uh, depend like, like uh, all I know is that after the stroke, he used the other one because mm. he couldn't remember oh, that wow. he had already chosen a voice for Barney. Oh, wow. um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't that his personality changed. It's just like mm-hmm. that he completely forgot that like, like, oh, that's Barney's voice. Right. And the yeah. muscle memory that that's involved in, in the voice, right? It's like, your voice is is physiology, obviously, but then also, mm-hmm. you know, um, you you learn how you prefer to use your voice or what have you, right? Right. All the little intricate like things that you know happen with your vocal cords and, and your tongue and your teeth and your your lips and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. I've thought a lot about that kind of question because um, I have a naturally low voice and mm. um, and. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if my mother listens. She's listened a little bit. <laughs> so this is a story that maybe I don't want to tell in case my mother's listening. Okay. But, but when I went through puberty and started my voice changing, you know, my mother and I were very close. And mm-hmm. I had I had um I had actually gone away uh from Las Vegas to Hawaii for the summer during yeah. my big growth spurt. Mm-hmm. And so then I came back, and this is a time, you know, 
calling calling was expensive, et cetera. So, you know, I, I hadn't really seen or talked to my mother very much for, for mm-hmm. three months. And I came back and I had gone through this growth spurt and my voice had had dropped, you know, mm-hmm. pretty substantially. I'm pretty close to where I where I was in my adult life. Um and I really it really bothered her, you know, to lose her like little boy. And like Aww. I'd be in the I'd be in the back of the car and I'd I'd be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. and she would like, oh you're Keenan, your voice is so low, you know, oh. was like, oh. and, and it really got to me. And I, you know, and then, um, and then, you know, not consciously, but I realized this all in retrospect, like I started raising my voice to be, you know, to, to put on this, this other voice of myself. And so now, so now I, I question that all the time. Like, I'm not sure where my, I'm not sure where my actual voice is. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, so I don't know how to test it. My, my boyfriend is a, um, is a, is a vocalist and a musician. And I'm asking like, how do I test? Like, you know, am I a baritone? Am I a, am I a bass or whatever? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm, Cause mm-hmm. his voice is naturally higher in conversation, but he's a baritone. Right. Um, ah. Yeah. So I, I really don't know. Like, like I, I worry sometimes like, is this my real voice or my, I don't know. Or, and then sometimes I worry, you know, am I, am I putting on this, this low voice idea of, you know, because I'm, cause I'm a self-hating gay, which is true. <laughs> you know, like, oh. like my, like my, yeah, my like issues with myself as a, as a, a gay kid in the late nineties. Like I think, you know, maybe I'm like lowering my voice to be more masculine or whatever, you know, all that stuff. Well, everybody loves you, Keenan. Oh, well, that's very, very nice. But you know, yeah. like I, I'm oh. certain that my aversion to the color pink <laughs> where I don't mm. want any pink in my house. I don't have any pink clothes, even though I would look good in pink with my skin tone. Like I know that's because of my, you know, my, my Actually, um, yeah, you upbringing. Pink. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like you look, you'd look really good in a, in a, um, in like a, uh, like a, a burgundy luster. I think that'd be good for you. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, and a, <laughs> I, I have, I have very little burgundy. I have like, it's all blues and blacks. So. That's how I am. I'm all blues and greens. I think you'd look good with olive. A good mustard on you would look great. Ooh, yes, yes, mustard. yes, yes. Interesting. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, well, well, yeah, in my own life, I'm like, oh, no bright colors, no pinks. I think that's certainly because of my, um, yeah, my late nineties, um, um, yeah, gay aversion to myself for sure. Wow. It just stuck with me. Hmm. Anyways. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I don't um, know what my voice is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the point. And he's doing a podcast, folks. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, like you, you listen to your voice all the time. I try not to listen to my voice, but, but like the idea of like, um, you know, it's you, you're, I don't know how many, how, how many hurts you are a little bit in your, in your own head. You always sound oh, I'm lower. a lot of hurts. So no. <laughs> but in your own head, you always sound lower and more masculine than you do when you're recording. Yes. Right. No matter yes. what you're doing. Right. Something has happened um, ever since I got into voice acting, ever since um, uh, it like to the point where like even when I started this podcast, uh, it is no longer a surprise to me. I think because mm-hmm. of like the voice acting and all that stuff um, where like I'm just because of my my job, I'm forced to to listen to my voice to, you know, like when I'm editing and when I'm sending stuff off. Right. Mm-hmm. Because guys, when you're like, you know, um, you know, on the on the lower tier of voice actors, you are <laughs> you're doing all of your own like engineering and, right. and editing and, and stuff like that. And you send it off to, uh, you know, to the people. And so you got to you got to make sure that like what you're sending off is just right. And it's the exact thing that you want. And so like, yeah, very, very quickly, I guess also same as like seeing myself on camera being like, oh, I look like that. Like I remember sure. in like high school and college being like really, really repulsed, uh, repelled, you might say, mm-hmm. um, by how I sound and look. And then totally. it, it just, you just kind of like had to, you know, um, uh, deal with it. Like, especially when you're, you know, when you are literally uh, like selling yourself as mm-hmm. a brand, right? Right. Selling your voice, selling your face, selling your, your body and, you know, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, um, like, accepting of, of who you are, but even like, even now, like I still have, um, 
uh, you know, this little tiny voice in mm-hmm. my head about, uh, you know, people talking about like uh, people pass me, uh, and it's like, oh yeah, you look, you know, you look really great. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you look like a, you know, a Disney prince. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you look like this, you look like that. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, thank you very much. But like, there's a little, little tiny part of me mm-hmm. that's like, I don't believe you, you know, right. because it, like, I mean, it, we're, we're getting way off the, the beaten <laughs> path here, but I mean, Keenan, my, uh, you know, my nickname mm-hmm. in um, uh, elementary school and middle school uh, was Quasimodo. No. Yes. Um, and it's because I have kind of like this, um, uh, you know, folks, you can't see me. Well, I mean, like if you find me on the socials, you might be able to tell. But like uh, this forehead that's kind of um, mismatched, I guess. You know, it's like one side is is uh, concave and one side is convex. And you can barely notice it, but like it's it's there. And when, you know, and kids notice. Uh, right. Uh-huh. Right. And so like that was that like just that was all of my childhood and like puberty time you know oh. like growing up was like it's like ah, oh, quasimodo you know so kids are or, terrible or, yeah or sloth from uh from the goonies like oh. hey, you know like that thing listeners just go out and punch the first kid you see today <laughs> in the street <laughs> just, just tell them lester sent you <laughs> how awful <laughs> i mean even you know what like i remember like sitting with an adult it was like it was uh my best friend and like his uncle and we were sitting on the couch and we were watching some like looney tunes characters looney tunes cartoons oh no no no, it wasn't looney tunes. it was tom and jerry right? uh-huh. and they had the bulldog um who's always kind of like mm-hmm. um being bothered by by the two and he's yeah, kind of like spike. defending yeah spike right mm-hmm. and in this episode spike had uh you know a little uh a little kid a little a little mini spike right <laughs> and this adult who's sitting with us just casually is like oh that, that little dog kind of looks like lester oh and i'm like huh okay all right oh and, and he meant it probably as a nice thing I, how how can that be nice <laughs> it's a cartoon it's a movie star <laughs> he's, a, he's a bulldog <laughs> he's a bulldog with a with a bulldog face a lot of people like bulldogs I, oh <laughs> yeah but no i'm sure he wasn't like oh let me get this kid right he's not going yeah. out punching punching kids um aye, aye, aye. um but yeah but now we have our little um our little Captain Howdy's in our heads talking about mm-hmm, these things, no matter what. Because Lester, you now more like you're saying, people say, "Oh, you look like a Disney prince." You, you, Lester, now you know today looks more like the the prince at the end of Beauty and the Beast, right? That's that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's the that's the one that everyone uh, yeah, points see, yeah, out. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, but so no matter how many times people say that to you, you'll always remember the little. I never told you that, Keenan. Right. No, no, I'm just, that's, that's what you So you like. just came up with that on your own. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> so, so I'm saying, so like, like no matter how many times people say that to you, you're going to remember that, that you look like the little bulldog, little mini, <laughs> mini Spike right? the bulldog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As loud <laughs> as they are about like, um, I guess Prince Adam is his name, right? Uh-huh, yeah. I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm just Spike Jr. That's what I am. <laughs> That's Captain Howdy's favorite exactly. uh, music channel is childhood trauma. <laughs> it's just the thoughts like swirling around. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, this is like, I put this on when I'm cooking, when I'm making a meal, you know, helps me sleep. <laughs> it's just people be like, nobody loves me. Oh. Nobody loves you. Nobody loves you. Right. Despite all, all the people who say that they do. Right. It's right, terrible. Right. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. No, this, laugh at you. And this is the brain. This is yep. what the brain does to you. It's not Gotta your love friend. love that brain. <laughs> just yeah. pick it up and squeeze it. Yeah. So yeah. So maybe sometimes, like, press really hard. On that brain. <laughs> just be like, shut up. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, but yeah. So so Doctor Klein is trying to reassure Chris and saying like, yeah, if it is if it is a physical problem, it it might be easier to fix. All we got to do is remove the scar, remove the lesion. Mm-hmm. Right. Great. 
But again, folks, as we know, this is just like Lucy with the football, right? We, mm-hmm. get, we get a little bit of hope from the doctors and then it gets ripped away. Okay, so from here, we get another sound bridge. This would mm-hmm. be a J cut, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. You got it. Oh, look at that, folks. I'm learning. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Because we, we, as we see Chris, we start hearing the sound from the next cut, from the next right. shot, right? And in this case, it is it is um, in, a, in the new scene, right? Yes. Right. Also, this weird thing going on where because Dr. Um, Dr. Klein is smoking. <laughs> it's yeah. a very subtle sort of thing, but you know, we have the sound coming in. We have this sort of pu- you know puff of smoke that starts to um, wipe uh, over Chris's face, and then oh. um, and then as it does, then we have um, you know I don't think you can do this in as you're designing these shots, but it's sort of a nice thing that the editor can find. We have this sort of match cut between this puff of smoke and then this kind of gleaming uh, stretcher that uh, that we get in the next shot as it comes in. Oh, I didn't even catch that. That is really cool. Yeah, it's it's something. Yeah, it's like oh, that's just these nice little accidents, and yeah. you know, it wouldn't be something that you're trying to find necessarily when you're in the editing room with these editors and um, and uh, Friedkin was like, oh look, look at that, that works, yeah. great, perfect. And I love that because it's like, yeah, of course you would use you would use something that is like in the natural world, like a puff of smoke. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, the doctor's smoking, mm-hmm. but like almost as like this like set dressing, almost as this like special effect transition type mm-hmm. thing, right? right? Like, I really like that. That is cool. Oh man. Um, okay. Well, speaking of speaking of using one thing and it, and it looks or sounds like another thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Getting back to this sound bridge, uh, Keenan. Like this, this one is especially disturbing because the sound that leaks in from the next scene is so mm-hmm. jarring and so right. incongruous. At first, I thought it was drums, like like someone was on stage doing a, a drum roll or a rim shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you go back and listen, like and suddenly he's like, you know, it's like da, 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 da. It's, it's all we have to do, and you know, there's hope, and yes, we will we will remove the scar from your daughter's brain. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, right. <laughs> and suddenly that adds a whole new layer to Dr. Klein, what, what he just said. Like, it's all a big joke, right? Mm-hmm. Like, see, I told you it was funny, right? <laughs> uh, you see, you see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, we come to find what that sound actually is, mm-hmm. is the hospital bed, which Reagan is lying on in the next scene, being rolled across the floor. And that made me think, wow, okay, they really are going to great lengths to give us the sound of that bed. I mean, I know every Everything makes a sound, but when you're making a movie, sometimes you intentionally leave out sounds, which you feel might be like distracting or not, or just like not important to the scene, right? Like you're trying to create. And so, I don't know. I feel like another director might uh, not bother with the sound of the bed here Mm -hmm. and instead put in some like ominous music or something. But again, we have the harsh reality of Friedkin's world, right? There's no music in the real world. Mm -hmm. The real world is full of uh, noise and harshness and or silence. And none of those are comfortable. Right. Just to, you know, not necessarily relevant to the exorcist but i guess sort of as a thought experiment but but nowadays in 2023 um a lot of music in horror movies is not actual musical score but it's sort of tone you know it's just sort Mm. of like a (laughs) right like that i hope that sounded good in the mic i was moving i was doing a little (laughs) dance here (laughs) right that just sort of tones and um so that's become the convention now in horror films um so that's Mm -hmm. very very common so if you are a fan of horror movies today and you're watching the exorcist for the first time or or looking at it in deep dive here yeah notice how we don't have any of that stuff and what's creating the tension Mm -hmm. and and discomfort is the heightened sounds of everyday objects of of real Mm-hmm. the real world um yeah and of course there is music here polymorphia and tubular bells right that is right, is, right. is scary but uh, oftentimes like yeah so you can imagine again taking this scene giving mm-hmm. it to a sound design student at a university in 2023 and saying what would you do here is like, well it's a horror movie so there should be some like yeah <laughs> you know some some tone <laughs> or whatever you know to, to be yeah. unsettling um 
and, and then just to reiterate what you're saying, um, the the only thing that you are recording to be used uh, in the finished film when you're on set is the dialogue. Hmm. So you're not recording any of the sound effects here. So so the sound effects that are put into a movie are put in in post-production specifically, hmm. right? So it's not like an artifact of, oh, I was trying to record what Reagan might have to say here, and we got all this other stuff. No, that's the sound designer specifically putting that in. Um, hmm. And that's, that's really starting to become, you know, sound design as its own um, art here in the early 1970s. Again, we, mm. we talked about this before, um, but with Walter Murch's design for The Godfather, like it started becoming right. like its own thing here. Right. So it's not even, it's it's even more of a choice, right? So yes. it's not even like the case of like, oh, leave that in. It's like, right. put that in. Create it. Yeah, go and make it. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So they had to, they had to go and find like some, some, some clankety clank mm -hmm. noises to, to, to put in here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I don't think we talked about Foley before, um, mm -hmm. but like Foley is the, is the type of sound effects that you make. And so that's the kind of thing. I think these videos are fascinating. You can go and find, just type in oh, yes. Foley, F-O-L-E-Y, and you get to see like what people are using to make these sounds um, of bones breaking. It's often like celery, uh, a, a punch is often like uh, punching a steak or something like that. Um, and then, and then crazy ones you don't even um, necessarily think about. Um, I think I saw one recently, which was um, whipped cream coming out of a, you know, a, a ready whip um, um, nozzle, you know, the shh. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I think that was, um, if I remember right, that was like, uh, like Tibetan sand type stuff, you know, where you have like sand oh. and then you sort of brush, brush, brushing sand, you know? Interesting. And it was like, a shh. <laughs> and for whatever reason, yeah, an actual can of wetty rip doesn't sound as good as, you know. Whatever they decide. Tibetan sand. Wow. <laughs> if I remember correctly, but yeah, you go and you you all can go and look at these videos because they're fascinating. And like, um, yeah, even there's even some old timey ones, um, um, you know, with like radio artists who used to put on radio shows, right? And like, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. the cliche is like, oh, the thunderstorm is a is a a giant bandsaw, and you go right, right, yeah. yeah. My favorite, I think, is, and I don't know how accurate this is. You can you can tell me if uh, if I'm if this is like a joke because it's coincidentally sounding the same, or if or if it's actually what they used. But um, no, it can't be what they actually used. <laughs> but um, you know, dragging a metal chair across the the floor mm -hmm. and it's sounding like the T Rex in Jurassic Park. I mean, that makes some sense. They had to. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that. Um, that when I talk about fully designed to my students, you know, it, it's like, how do you figure out what a Tyrannosaurus Rex sounds like, right? Mm. A, an alligator doesn't roar. <laughs> right? Right. So you can't just go out into the in the real world and get it. And record T-Rexes, right? right? So they had to do a bunch of things. Um, and some of the, and each roar is different, right? So they don't just make yeah. one roar and then repeat it. Like some are in the mm -hmm. rain and some of them are more aggressive and some of them are more cautious. And some sometimes they are um, Mack trucks, you know, kind of, mm. yeah. but then they're mixed in with like, um, like panther Organic growls. And, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's sort of a mixture of all those things to get this thing that, you know, you, when you see Jurassic Park for the first time, which is one of the formative experiences in my life, you know, seeing Jurassic Park for the first time and hearing that T-Rex sound and mm -hmm. you're like, that's exactly what a T-Rex sounds like, you know, even though right. I've never heard it before. And it's, it's, right. it's terrifying. Yeah, that is imprinted on my brain. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And the part where I didn't press down. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no. Um, or or like um the the sound a TIE fighter makes. Like that that's uh -huh. like the latest that's the latest meme is people will um uh, uh like have some some like kid screaming or like a cat meowing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll just really, really quickly cut to a TIE fighter and they'll be like, Oh yeah, it's like it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um one of our sound design teachers here, John McLean, who runs a sound design uh company here in las vegas he the assignment that he would give them is 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 uh, like okay all right students your homework is to go out and design an, a, a fire goblin 
And what does a fire oh. goblin sound like? Right. So you have to think abstractly. You can't, you can't just um, find that somewhere. <laughs> right. Right. And it'd be like, like the, you know, the, the most obvious choice would be just to go and like, like uh, record like a crackling campfire, mm-hmm. but you don't want to do that. You want to do something a little bit like more, I don't know, right. out of the box. Yeah. Where's the wetness there? That doesn't sound like a goblin. Yeah, where's the right, you know, yeah. oh, crackling fire? Yeah, no, wrong. Get out of class. Get out of class. <laughs> no, I think it's just a wonderful sort of, um, you know, the artistry of sound design, which really gets yeah. me. It's something that I don't have a, you know, I don't have an ear for. I don't have a, those skills. But like whenever someone shows me what they've done, like, whoa. And this is this stuff is just impacting you on this like primordial level, right? Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. So these these sounds here of all these scrapes and these, and these um, you know, we hear metal on metal and we don't know where, where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's like in some ways even more scary than say like – you know, a lion roaring, which we right. like, you know, we're primed to be like, oh, that's scary. But like this stuff, we can't even place what it is. Right. And I think, yeah, we talked about that before mm-hmm. is like the unknown, right? Like you're like, you. there's a different type of fear when you are presented with, like you say, Keenan, a lion or mm-hmm. a gun or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But when there's something that's like, I don't know what that is, right. you know, and it could be sight or sound or, or feeling, right? Like, you know, the, mm-hmm. that, that popular Halloween game of like putting your hand in like this box with your, you know, with oh, your eyes yeah. closed and feeling the peeled grapes and being like, I don't know what that is. You know, it's the witch's um, eyes. It's the witch's eyes. Yeah. Um, and this is the witch's yeah, brain like, and it's just your yes. own brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. right see no magic here folks it's just it's just your best friend's brain <laughs> oh we tricked you you thought it was a witch's brain no it's just veronica's brain <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't press too hard on it did you no like, i'm sure she's fine she's got that new math test tomorrow <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, but okay. Speaking of Foley guys, mm, yeah. like I'm, I'm holding back on this until it happens. But right. there is some pretty interesting Foley stuff that happens uh, later on in the movie when stuff gets, you know, when stuff gets spooky. Uh, yeah, but, I think that's know, why I'm, I'm particularly. Um, I think that's why I'm particularly talking about sound in the voice here because I did. Um, we do these episodes in batches, and so I'll watch them in three minute chunks or four minute chunks to sort of. Mm-hmm. But then today, when I was rewatching these minutes, I I I, I kept going because it was really catching to me. And then we mm-hmm. so pretty quickly we start getting changes to Reagan's voice, and, and so I think that's why I'm yes. thinking a lot so much about it today. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's no good. Mm-mm. Ain't no good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Back at this minute, um, so again, here we have this expression or this absence of expression on mm-hmm. Reagan's face. So we're in the next scene, right? Reagan is being wheeled in on this uh, on this hospital uh, bed mm-hmm. cart thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, I forgot the word for hospital bed for a second. Um, yeah, I called it a stretcher yeah. earlier, which is wrong. You're right. It's it's like a, well, a a bed she would have in her room that they're transferring her over to, right? Right, right. Um, and there's this expression on Reagan's face, which could show resignation. Mm-hmm. It could show hopelessness. It could also show that she is holding it in. Mm-hmm. She's trying to be brave for mom, right? How do you how do you read this expression, Keenan? Yeah, what Linda Blair is doing for me, the first thing that I sort of think of is like, oh god, she's been she's been. We're about to see a procedure, but it's like she's been through so much today. Like it's like just another thing. So okay. like maybe so it's the beginning the first of this. Thing of the day. This is like- it feels like it to me. Like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe she had a little more, you know, reaction to it at the beginning of the day, but it's like, oh, mm-hmm. another one of these, or you know. Yeah. Um and I was thinking about how I mean, this is a really strong performance again by Linda Blair. We just have to keep mm-hmm. underlining it. It's not just, you know, some kid performance, but so I wanted to highlight that before I say what I'm gonna say here, which is like um, 
being exhausted in a movie, I think is one of the most fun things to have to play. Cause you're just mm. like, it's exhausting to make movies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so when I was on my first feature as an actor and I was in, um, just about every scene, um, for the, once the movie starts going. So we were shooting mm. like 18 days, um, and, you know, I wasn't really prepared for it. That's the thing they kind of tell you about working on a feature as opposed to a short, because a short, you might work really hard for one or two days, uh, you know, on mm-hmm. your days off, and then you go back to your normal life. But on a, on a feature, um, it's exhausting. And so mm-hmm. when we finally get to the part in the movie, because we're shooting in roughly chronological order, which is a luxury you don't have in, in most movies. Right. Um, not normally. Right. Not normally. Yeah. Yeah. So at least for this big chunk in the middle, we were shooting roughly chronologically. And by the time, like, you know, our characters have been staying up all night and, and I got drunk and, and, you know, my character, I mean, um, um, mm. like by the end of it, I'm just like exhausted. It was like, Oh great. I don't have to act. I can just like rely on my, <laughs> what my body's telling me that I am exhausted. Mm. This is, this is very, very tiring. I, I really like those, uh, like the, um, those shots or scenes of like sleeping or mm-hmm. like falling asleep or just like, like being in the bed and just kind of like, you know, maybe waking up from a dream or, or mm-hmm. like, or like, like, uh, when, uh, the phone rings for Chris and she's got to pick it up and she's got to act right. like really tired oh, or something God. like that. Right? <laughs> Unless it's like the first shot and I'm all excited and I just had like right. a Red Bull mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh guys, I, I can't wait to be in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. We want you to like act like you just woke up. And it's like, mm-hmm. I did just wake up. I had three Red Bulls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I like those scenes too. Yeah. We have these shots of Reagan and, um, again, it, the movie, when we're in these hospital sequences, it's going for like extreme realism. Mm. Like our camera is sometimes positioned. Um, we have this shot that's at the base of Reagan's bed and we basically get, um, only the top half of her face and like her, we're looking up her nose and we're seeing her eyes and it just right. like, you know, what we would be seeing if we were at the base of her bed and not necessarily where a film director, a movie, a narrative film director would put his camera. Right. Right. It, right. it sort of feels like we're in, we're really intruding upon this real, um, this real procedure. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, like to, to speak to this scene, the whole thing just seems off it mm-hmm. feels uncomfortable right like even to the point of having someone like mispronounce reagan's name yeah. right the first word we hear in this scene is her name but this guy pronounces it regan mm-hmm. and it's like what do we okay what do we think this is really like it works either way um but do we think that this guy this uh this paul bateson made the decision that his character this technician character was going to purposely say her name wrong as an added little like like nothing is right in this room mm-hmm. you know or did the actor just like never hear anyone else say the name and mm-hmm. on set and he fucked up like what do we think yeah and that's interesting right so like so imagine that this well we say this actor right he's acting here so we should you know I'm, a, I'm just trying to be clear, like, if you're dealing with someone who's a non-professional actor and they're in the movie and they're acting, like, we should treat their performance, you know, like, like, like they're acting, right? Like, right, like, because right. we have, again, this is like the, the fourth or fifth person that we've highlighted here who is a, a real person and not an actor. And like, you know, right. Friedkin is interested in that, as we'll talk about, especially with this person. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, this this actor comes in and, and says, Regan, and I, I can imagine, because we don't know the answer to this, where this is coming from, I can imagine Friedkin going, like, oh, great. You know, he made a mistake right. that feels more real to have somebody mess this up, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, because you could also see, a, a, you know, a, a less confident director being like, oh, that's a mistake. I'm, we're going to use another take. I'm going to correct him, right? I'm going I'm mm-hmm. to say, oh, no, it's Reagan, and, and we're going to cut out this quote-unquote mistake. But right. that mistake feels, you know, not only does it feel like something that would happen in the rural, but as you say, like... It really like hurts our feelings and, and amongst like all right. this other stuff, you know, that's going on. It's like, oh, it's like she's Reagan. Just, God, just one like, more thing, right? One more thing to go wrong for this poor little girl. 
Yeah, right. And like you would think with such a scary like invasive procedure that uh, like in the real world, they would go to the trouble to introduce all of the technicians like, hi, I'm Paul. I'm Dr. Klein's friend. I want to show you the machine, whatever. Like, what's your name? Oh, Reagan. Nice to meet you, Reagan. Don't be scared. Blah, blah, blah. Right. But it serves to remove Reagan to mm-hmm. isolate her further. Like you said, like to, that, you know, she's got all these doctors and these technicians in the room with her uh, supposedly on her side, mm-hmm. but they don't even know her goddamn name. Right. Like, the, the only one who knows her that well is separated by a pane of glass, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, if it were me directing this bit, I would even go so far as to have, like, Reagan speak up and try to correct him. Like, it's Reagan. Mm-hmm. Not, not like, so that she could, like, have a victory in this scene. Quite the opposite. Like, it would be, um, like, an attempt at reclaiming some power in mm-hmm. this powerless situation, right? That That's not my name. My, my name is Reagan. And then having that quickly be, like, brushed aside like it doesn't matter like your name doesn't even matter little girl you're in this room and we're going to do these horrible things and your mom's out there and right. she's not even here like she can't help you and that might even be like a little nice nod to like what the demon says later is like i am no one oh, because right yeah. now mm-hmm. she is no one right. right yeah that's interesting um you know again we're, we're talking about what we would do as a less confident director than friedkin right, right? and less less quite as sure like oh we want to be sure we're highlighting all these little moments and and for for friedkin's like it's just the tapestry of you know of what this experience is it's just how it is right yeah but think about that also about linda blair when we're in this like the sequence that is um you know put to, i don't want to say improvisational that's not quite the, the thing I'm, I'm trying to say but like friedkin mm-hmm. has given them leeway here and there to you know um to stray from the script or to, to add things or be in the moment right um right. and we've seen that but like you know for linda blair to not like have a reaction to all right regan you know she's just like oh god <laughs> like like i just can't even respond to that you know i can't i can't even have that little bit of energy to to do the scene that uh, lester was thought experimenting yeah. right either either this has happened before uh-huh. or so many other things have happened before that this is just like i don't even care anymore right and that's you know um we've been talking a lot about our childhood traumas today um mm-hmm. but, but yes. you know, mine mine what an excellent day for childhood trauma <laughs> like isn't that the whole exorcist is childhood yeah. trauma yeah <laughs> with reagan and damien yeah it's, but it's about childhood trauma and then it gives you childhood trauma <laughs> if you see it yeah but you know i i have a hard to pronounce name my name is keenan i've been saying that mm-hmm. on the podcast but um if you look up, you know, in the in the description, it's K Y N A N, um, which is hard to pronounce. And some, you know, I've gone back and forth on this a little bit. I like that I have an unusual name. I, I don't know about you, yeah. Lester. Um, like, I like that I'm not another Kevin or you know or Tyler oh, yeah. or Jordan or something like like other kids in my class where they'd be like Jordan B and Jordan Jordan S. You know, right, right. Um, so I'm glad for that. I've only ever met um, a handful of Keenans in my real life. Mm. Um, we're like, oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But mine is with the Y, and I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like the misspelling because then we have these conversations that if it was just K E E N A N, it would be easier, you know. I personally love it. Well, and it's like when you call misspelling, I call the perfect spelling. This is <laughs> that is your that is your name. Um, I, and I have looked up like you know, are, are there any other Keenans? And I don't know how they pronounce them. I think that they do pronounce them. In, you know, some of these people who have become famous enough for me to Google, like there's Australian um, rugby players and that kind of thing, that they might be Kynan. I'm not sure, but that's how people tend mm. to, you know, when they look at my chart at the hospital, say Kynan. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, I, talking about childhood trauma, my name, <laughs> um, my name, my name is unique, and it also mm-hmm. sounds like a lot of things. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, folks, you know you know what I'm talking about. Lester, uh, Lester, mm-hmm. Lester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people, like, to this day, mm-hmm. I'm almost 40 years old, mm-hmm. Keenan, and I'm meeting other people who are almost 40 years old, mm-hmm. and they think it's the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> As if they were the first ones to come up mm-hmm. with it. They're like, oh, is your first name Mo? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Like, like how how many years of comedy school, guy, <laughs> did you <laughs> did you take to come up with that? Oh, um, my God. What do you think about, like, Uncle Fester? I'm sure people call you oh, that. Oh, that's a, a billion, thousand, billion right. times. But Uncle Fester's yeah. pretty cool. He's, he's like my favorite character in the right, right, right. So, yeah. So, how yeah. sad is that when they when they try that one on you? But I also know what Uncle Fester is. And so, like, I'm like, oh, he's my favorite TV character. But uh, you're comparing right. me to him. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be compared to him in real life. I love Christopher Lloyd. but <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. as I've, as I've Uncle grown Fester, up. Uncle uh, Fester, um, Moe Lester. I've gotten mm. Hannibal Lester. Okay. That hadn't occurred to me, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one I had to give points for. I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's, that's. The first time. <laughs> the, fir- the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So nowadays I don't, I don't, um, I don't get, you know, upset when someone mispronounces my, mispronounces, mispronunci, mispronunciates <laughs> my name. <laughs> I don't get, I get upset at that with a first name, but it does still bother me when they mispronounce my last name in a way that, um, I don't know why it's still irrational. Like if they don't know me and they've never heard the name before, but it's, it's Diaz, D-I-A-S. And of course, Diaz, D-I-A-Z is one of the most common surnames in America. It's like, right. I think it, I think it is in the top 10 or top 20, like most common surnames. Um, mm-hmm. So it shouldn't bother me that people are like, oh, I'm assuming it's the same as that, but, but it's not, it's Diaz. <laughs> it's ah. Diaz. It's the Portuguese version of it. But right, um, right. yeah, so I don't know why that, but it's still irrational. Um, and I was on mm-hmm. a, I was on a game show and they, um, they took great pains to uh, pronounce my first name correctly, but the the announcer. Um, so the entire time, the host is like, "Oh, Keenan, 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 wonderful, lovely." Uh, but then I got home, and the announcer, who was not on set um, um, when I was on the game show, uh, says my last name wrong. I was like, "Oh, you, oh, <laughs> you were almost, almost there." Yeah, ah. yeah, because the the person who was filling in for the um, um. I'm, uh, uh, you know, these are these are our fans. Okay, I try to be cagey about this because it sounds like I'm bragging, but I was on Jeopardy. So, so let me. So, I was on Jeopardy, <laughs> and I'm not bragging that I'm on Jeopardy. I lost on Jeopardy. <laughs> but, Your co-host is a celebrity, folks. No, 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 no. So, so the, then the Jeopardy community is great, and like I feel like I can talk to them, you know, about what it's like to be on Jeopardy. But like when I tell other people who haven't been on Jeopardy, it becomes a whole thing, and it, it feels like I'm bragging too much because it's it's a hard show to get onto, obviously. It is. Um, but Anyway, so so Alex Trebek is the uh, so now I get to go back and tell the whole story again. But use real names. So Alex <laughs> Trebek and the the contestant coordinators, you know, they he would say my name, Keenan, Keenan, Keenan. Oh, Keenan, tell us about this. Perfect, wonderful. And then um, on set. So if you if you haven't been if you haven't seen how Jeopardy's filmed, if you haven't gone and visit them, um, there's the announcer Johnny Gilbert, but he no longer comes to set. So that mm. voice at the beginning goes, "This is Jeopardy." Today is contestant. Oh. Sorry, he's not on set. So, so Jimmy from the Clue Crew. It's so, it's so much easier of a story to tell <laughs> when I'm not just being <laughs> when I'm not just being cagey about it. So Jimmy from the Clue Crew does the in person. Um, you know, this is Jeopardy, and here's our first contestant is a film student from Las Vegas, Nevada, Keenan Diaz. So he's there in the room, and you, know, you tell him how to pronounce it. But then, so right. when Johnny Gilbert pronounced my name from his home studio, he mispronounced the last name. I was like, Oh, oh. Johnny Gilbert, America's no. sweetheart. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I'm, you know, 
Anyways, there's that. There is that. Um, okay. So this guy. Uh, so elephant in the room uh, mm-hmm. or serial killer in the room. Mm-hmm. Um this guy, uh, Paul Bateson. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to do a bio of this guy. He's not deserving of a bio, in my opinion. Right. We spend way too much time remembering the names of the killers rather than the victims. Uh, so F this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we could somehow erase him from the film, but I guess we got to talk about him. So Yeah, I mean, he's become part yeah. of the the legend of the film, right? People talk right. about this a lot. Um, there's, there's always um, – with movies like this that are so impactful, like Poltergeist mm. or, or this one, there, there's there's often, let's say, like this aura of like, oh, this is a cursed film or something like that, right? And this is right. part of that kind of spooky, creepy um, uh, peripheria. Right, right. So we're taking this as part of the tapestry of the the um, the mythos of this film, and nothing more. Um, we're just, but yeah, we're and, just gonna. And it affects um, uh, Friedkin's career, right? So, yes, so Friedkin starts making decisions uh, based on this scene. You know that that impact him for the rest of his career. Right. Yes. So. Huh. Okay, so this guy, Paul Bateson, um, is a convicted murderer, a uh, former radiographer. In 79, he was convicted of the murder of film industry journalist Addison Verrill. I think I'm pronouncing that right, Verrill. Um, he was sentenced to a minimum 20 years in prison, but he was released on parole in 2003, which ended after five years. Um, Wikipedia says, released on parole after 24 years and three months, released from parole after five years. What does that mean? Does that mean like after five years of parole, he just walked? I believe so. I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like you report so 20- for five years to a, um, a parole officer and they monitor you and there are restrictions and things. And then after that, yeah, I think you're done. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so 24 years behind bars, five years on parole, uh, after that. And then that's that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. Um, and that's, that's just for the murder of, uh, Addison Verrill. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, uh, prior to his trial, even prosecutors had implicated him in a series of unsolved murders of gay men in Manhattan. Um, these were killings he boasted about while in prison and which he himself brought up, uh, at the sentencing. However, no additional charges were brought against him. Um, these murders were thought to be done all by the same person because they were so, uh, similar the bodies were were chopped up and put into trash bags and thrown into the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. Now, it, Wikipedia gets a little confusing here. It says in one part that he boasted about these murders in prison all the way up to his trial, at which point they were like even mentioned. Mm-hmm. But then a little later, it says that while in prison, Friedkin, our Friedkin, mm-hmm. came to visit him and Bateson admitted to the murder of uh, Addison Verrill. But then he said that the prosecutors were saying that if he admitted to the other killings, he might get off on a lighter sentence, mm-hmm. which he's like considering, which which like a lighter sentence to, you know, admitting to more murder. That is bonkers to me. Yeah. Um, I don't understand that. He uh, Like that almost sounds like they really didn't know who did the other murders and they just needed somebody to confess. Right. That So uh, I'm going to jump in. As, as the um, liberal bleeding heart pansy wansy okay. <laughs> about criminal justice reform, yeah, it, it's it's sometimes um, you know it's unfortunate, but but sometimes you it, it muddies the solution to these murders. Um, so we don't have much evidence that Bateson commit is a serial killer, right? So right. so that might be the case that we have a serial killer here. Um, mm-hmm. All the evidence is for the murder of Addison Farrell, this Variety reporter. As Variety is the um, the industry uh, newspaper for Hollywood. Right. right. So he was a New York uh, variety reporter. And um, and so we so that's open and shut. But then the only evidence that we really have about Bateson is circumstantial that the, that the disposal of the bodies is kind of similar and that right. um, they don't even know who those bodies are. Unfortunately, they've never identified that- them. 
Yeah. That I could not because I was I was mm-hmm. reading about that the other day and I was like, how do you not right. identify like how? Like like to this day they still don't know who right. the victims were. Um so then we have to add That's on, insane. you know, this this really, you know, this really awful stuff about like this is amongst the gay community, which is different from our modern day gay community. Like mm-hmm. like today, still there are um there are people, you know, young people who run away from communities where where they're not welcome, right? And they come right. to places like San Francisco, New York, LA, et cetera, right? Um, yeah. And then they find community there. But now think about mm. that in the 70s. So, so sometimes these people would leave and they would find a community, but they would still not necessarily be out, you know, open to themselves. And, and you know, mm. they might be using um, the falsified names. They might not have told people. So you might go missing, say, in, um, in Birmingham, Alabama, and then go to New York and then end up unfortunately murdered by this serial murderer, whoever he was. Um, right. And then they, the, you know, you're the people who are looking for you and never know that you've gone to the West Village in New York. They don't know where you are. Oh, okay. So, so it's completely, yeah, it's completely different sort of situation there. Um, <sighs> and then, yeah, I mean, so unfortunately, prosecutors are allowed to um, to prosecutors and police are allowed to lie to you uh, to extents that, um, you know, criminal justice reformers today are like, well, we should really figure out how much this is. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is possible that this guy, I don't want to be too sympathetic to him. He is a convicted murderer and might have murdered right. several people. But it, right. it is possible that he had misunderstood what the prosecutors were offering him or the prosecutors were leading him, you know, towards, you know, um, uh, admitting to crimes he didn't commit, which is unfortunately relatively common for for you right, know people yeah. in in jails to and prisons to admit to things that they didn't do. And that later right. on we later on we find the DNA evidence that says it's impossible this person committed the murder that they that they had um, confessed to. Right, right, yeah. Even today, you're seeing stuff on like YouTube and TikTok of like people um, you know being convicted, being sentenced, and like after like 40 years right. getting out because it's like oh we made a mistake. Right, or, where they know, had like, where they had signed a confession 40 years ago yes. because they're under all this this pressure. And it's all this strangeness, right? Of where people are telling them one thing, and they're also separated from their families, and they're living in this, you know, this crazy situation. So, right. um, I don't know that that's again, what happened not being to Bateman, to this right, guy, the Bateson. Like, yeah, yeah. I, we don't know what happened to him there, but it's not it's not so out of bounds that someone would say, "Hey, I'm going to imply that I committed five or six other murders." Right? And to us, it feels it seems impossible that we would admit to any murder that we didn't commit. Right. Right, right, and and that's yeah. one of the reasons that like okay, so like apart from the bleeding heart liberal part of it about you know putting innocent people behind bars, <laughs> like <laughs> from the criminal justice standpoint of it, like this is a problem because we have um, we have um, muddy the water. Say Bateson didn't kill these six people, we don't know, but if we get right. him to admit to it, and then that accidentally like lets off the real murderer, you know, who is exactly. now free, the case is closed. Right. That's a problem, you know, from a justice standpoint, right? So yeah, so it's it's so messy, and we don't know what happened, but he certainly did uh, kill this poor um, this poor variety reporter. Yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah, and like you said, like very wisely i think that you know even though true crime has become this huge genre right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. with like cases like serial or even you know even before that like shows like De- dateline that just every week it's right. a new true crime um or Dahmer is like the latest one that everyone's yeah. like, like flocking to, and they're they're like idolizing him. yeah that's what like, i was that's what i was saying i think that this Dahmer miniseries uh ryan murphy had with evan peters evan peters just won the golden globe for that mm-hmm. like i think it's starting to become an inflection point where you start seeing people in the industry talking about like we've been doing it all wrong especially with the case of like real life people right right but it's different when it's hannibal lecter and you can you i was know, just gonna say yeah, yeah like it is it is it, it, hannibal lecter wasn't a real person this is fictional so we can like stan hannibal lecter right? right you know i i you know i think it's you know 
maybe look at yourself a little bit, but I guess like we do yeah. it with, we do it with Dracula or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But like, yeah, with the real it's removed person. enough to where it's like, Oh, Anthony Hopkins, brilliant performance, Hannibal Lecter, like brilliant character. And then, and I think, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make Dahmer like the next Hannibal Lecter. It's right. like, you can't do that. Dahmer's a real Dahmer's person. A real person. His victims are still alive. And like, yeah. And then maybe, you know, like, Oh, um, what is that? What is that called? Um, oh shoot. There's, there's a book that, that was really popular a couple of years ago in like literary, like, oh, murders mm-hmm. in the white city or something like that. Uh, I, I can't oh. remember. But anyways, that's like historical serial killer. The devil in the white devil, city. Thank you. Devil in the white city before we got any emails, yeah. like devil in the white city. And it's like, well, okay. You know, maybe, maybe that's a little different. Like this is historical and, and these victims no longer have families who were like mourning for them, you know? Right. But Dahmer was in it was less, in our lifetimes, you know. I mean, there yeah, so there are yeah. people who are still reeling from this. Um, yeah. So, so I think people are starting to talk about it in a different way. And I think that the 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 Netflix show got in. I think they got in hot water a little bit because they were they were trying to say that okay, we're different because this Dahmer miniseries is from the point of view of Dahmer's black woman neighbor played by Niecy Nash, who's a great actor. Um, and, and like, you know, okay, that's an interesting perspective, right? Cause that's part of the Dahmer case is that, um, this woman had told the police, Hey, I think something's going on with my neighbor, this weirdo. Right. I see guys going in. I don't see them coming out. He's odd. Right. Um, and, and, but then like, like the right way to do that would be, you make her super interesting right. and you make her like the one that you want to follow and you want to say, it's like, Oh, what a great, you know, yeah. performance. you don't, you don't make Dahmer interesting in that case. I, like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, know. but they were. Yeah, so I think that they were promoting themselves as having done that, which turned out not to be the case. That she's not in every episode, and you know she's not the main character. Mm. But they're like, okay, look, this is about how this black woman was ignored by the police because they like they see this okay. regular black woman, you know, poor black woman or, or lower middle class black woman. And they're like, we don't believe you. And look, here's mm. some white dude, right, who mm. is weird and has stench coming out of his apartment and guys going, but he's he's a white dude, so we listen to him, right? But mm. that's not, yeah. But I don't think that's what the show. I haven't seen the show, so I I, I usually don't like criticizing shows I have not seen. Right. But from right. what Same I here, like I'm, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it just, just, you know, full disclosure, but like just from like, just hearing everybody at right. work clamoring about Dahmer right. and people like talking about like, not just the show, but the character mm-hmm. of Dahmer. I'm like, guys, you know, like that, like we're studying world war two. We're studying mm-hmm. the Holocaust, which is recent, like enough. Right. This is like, this is even more fresh. Like, like you said, Keenan, like, like his victims or, or like his, his the, the families mm-hmm. of his victims. Well, they're also victims, right. I guess, mm-hmm. like are, are, are still around. They got to watch this show or they're not going to watch this show, mm-hmm. but like they got to know that people are talking about this show. That's, ugh, that's gross. Yeah. And they cast, you know, this, um, sex symbol evan peters is like um one of the one of tv's sex symbols right now and to cast mm-hmm. him as Dahmer, uh you know is is uh, odd yeah like, I, don't, I don't know what they're what they're thinking there so like they're you know they're you know women at home who are like oh look how sexy evan peters is as jeffrey Dahmer. like that's not helpful right. at all yeah Ugh, no so no, anyways no. back to our serial killer <laughs> that we have to tell right. but oh oh i was talking about um Unfortunately, like we don't know a lot about Addison Verrill, which is sad. Like, so this is the right. the murder victim, and then you try to Google him, and his his writings are are hard to find. I, I couldn't find any on on Variety because um, right. you know Variety is a newspaper, and I, I'm sure I could find them if I had gone to 
the library, you know, and like actually done that work. But but it's harder. It's hard to find his writing, and you have to listen to um, his friend, a fellow reporter, um, a, a journalist reporter, um, entertainment reporter, Arthur Bell, who wrote about mm-hmm. this, and like he was like, right. you know, hey, like hey, let this is a real person here, right? So that's yeah, kind of the yeah. tricky thing with um, a true crime is that you're focusing on the suspects and the murderers, and right. yeah, it's hard to to focus on the victim. Yeah, and what sucks is like if you if you Google Addison Verrill, probably mm-hmm. the first thing that you're gonna you know come up with yeah. is like how he was murdered and who murdered him. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, at, at the end of it all, like we know that he killed Addison Verrill. We don't know for sure about uh, the other mm-hmm. murders. Um, but either way, um, speaking of like romanticizing uh, people who shouldn't be romanticized, uh, Friedkin takes this information um, and he makes another movie. He makes the film adaptation of this 1970 novel called Cruising about a police officer going undercover in the gay community uh-huh. uh, to uh, to catch a serial killer. So uh, I, I guess he was basing it on both the book and the like string of real life unsolved murders, which mm-hmm. base, Bateson was possibly connected with. He went, even went so far as to include the actual bar at which uh, Bateson had uh, met Veril, which of right. which of course he fucking did. <laughs> right. He's mm-hmm. freaking right. But like there there is a. Uh, um, uh, a story I was reading about how, like, he went to visit uh, Bateson, um, like in jail, and I think that's what, what you were mm-hmm, about to mm-hmm. talk about, right, Keenan? Well, yeah. So, so Bateson is again one of these people that, as Friedkin is working on the movie and getting it together, he's like, oh. Let's just use the real people. You all are interesting, more interesting than than an actor who's going to go and, and do this, right? Um, right. Especially that when you're like doing this complicated radiology procedure that we're going to see in the upcoming minutes, right? Mm-hmm. He he went and observed real radiology procedures, and he liked the radiologist. He liked his assistant Paul Bateson. So let's just have mm-hmm. you all do it, right? Yeah. So he had met them before and was you know as he has been with um, with uh, with uh, Tom Birmingham mm-hmm. and with uh, Vinnie Russell right. and with uh, Vasiliki Maliaros. Right. He's meeting them. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, you all are, are so interesting. We're going to put you in there. So t- it, to sort of back Friedkin up a little bit about this, like imagine that you have been fascinated enough by this real life person that you're mm-hmm. like, then put them in the most famous movie in the world and the movie that you right. know, makes your reputation. And then you find out that they're a murderer. So, I mean, I understand Friedkin's like, you know, obsession with that to some extent. Right. Mm. Um, so knowing who Friedkin is. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I even, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm saying like, even if that had happened to me, I'd be like, well, geez, like, 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 I don't know. Like, like I, I was, you know, in, in some ways directors are seduced by actors, right. In the casting process. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm so interested in you. That's so wonderful. Right. You're such an interesting person. And then to, you know, in the editing room, you see these people again and again, and again, and again, and again. Right, right. And then to hear that they're a murderer. Um, I don't know. I would at least be interested enough to, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Like, would I would I be mm. strong enough to go? Like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. <laughs> or you know, or, or maybe just to like get some closure. Right. Like, hey, like I thought I knew mm-hmm. you. Like, we worked together on a film. Right. Like, what what the fuck is all of this? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So then, um, yeah. So he he has the combination of sources: his relationship with Bateson, his working relationship there, and then this novel called Cruising. Um, and he he sort of puts them together. And, and as you say, like using using the real life locations, um, like the bar, um, which is the mine shaft, I think, or something. The mine yeah, shaft, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, like using that is, 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 um, you know, uh, how, what am I trying to say? <laughs> it's, it is, uh, it's understandable in some ways. And then also very Friedkin-esque, right? Like to, yeah. to put your stamp on it, uh, this novel and say like, Oh, I'm going to add this sort of, um, Ramona cleft, like these, uh, these keys from real life to open it up, open up the story. Yeah. 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 Um, so a little bit about cruising. So this is a 
a movie that is very controversial. Um, mm. And, you know, Paul Bateson gets us into these like all these um, things we talked about so far in this show a little bit, right, like yeah. the idea that like Paul Bateson was a, a ticket seller at a porno theater in downtown Manhattan. Like we talked about, oh. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, Oh, there we go. Like here's, it's sort of like, it's, it was weird reading up on his story this weekend and like seeing all these other, you know, um, yeah. connections. But um, Friedkin is putting out this movie cruising and it's very controversial. He gets a Razzie nomination for best director. Like we've talked about oh. before and what the Razzies are like. Um, yeah. And it's controversial at the time for both straight uh, communities and and queer communities because mm. it's controversial from straight communities because like why are you making us watch about you know a, a serial killer within the gay community um, and it's set not just in the gay community but like in a subculture of the gay community in the in the leather bars right the leather bars right yeah. that apparently Addison Verrill was not necessarily into and then you know which is a, another part of the tragedy of it it's not like he was um, he was like into roughness or, or anything or anything necessarily kinky but meets a guy right. at this bar and then and then and then his you know version of his story is put into this movie and then yeah you 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 google addison vero and it's like oh look at cruising this story about leather bars in this subculture right, right? so he's he's yeah. going to always be remembered as being part of that subculture when apparently he wasn't right right um yeah. and so like gay, you know straight people were like oh what a what a gross sort of movie and like look like i don't really like this this is uncomfortable why are you why are you like empathizing with these gay men who are into this like rough um m culture and then mm. queer people right gay people are like this is not us you know like to, to show right. like this specific um subculture you know dudes who are into potentially like rough or dangerous sex and saying that is the gay community um right. when that's that's not that's just part of it right um <laughs> so it didn't really satisfy anybody from either end of it and he you know he got some of the worst reviews of his career um wow. now it, it's been sort of reevaluated. you know i think that because mm. i teach queer cinema in in my classes um and like when there's one gay movie a year it stands mm. in for all of gaydom right like yeah. when there used to be one black movie a year that had to stand in for every black family and every black business and everything. Right. right. And I think now right. that you're like, okay, there is a subculture of leather bars and there is a subculture of SNM um, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But it, it's, it, it seems less like it's trying to um, um, indict an entire, you know, entire people. Right. Right. Um, so it's become reevaluated. Some people like it a whole lot, but it certainly begins like, uh, a lot more criticism of Friedkin and it, it begins, uh, his movies become more uh, unequally um, um, uh, reviewed. You know, people, people are like, Oh, this is back to form. And then afterwards it's like, people tend to like uh, pile on about like, okay, Friedkin's at the end of his career now. Yeah. And he's had some, some highlights, right? So we have cruising and then we have um, to live and die in LA. And there's, there's, right. but be, between those movies and then afterward, it's pretty hard. People start to really kind of delight in like seeing the, the, the downfall of a great director. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so yeah. So that's, that's the story of, I guess, uh, uh, Bateson and also the rise and fall of Friedkin. Yeah, that's how um, a lot of that's a lot of his biographers put it. Right, this is the beginning wow. of the end of his his great period. Dang. And cruising is part of this. Um, you know, once there's a lot more gay visibility in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, um, a lot mm-hmm. of gay act- activists like uh, Vito Russo, who founds Glad, the um, uh-huh. the yeah, the the watchdog organization for how media works in uh, in the gay community. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know. Uh, I'm of two minds of it. It's like, okay, cruising, here's a movie about gay people. That's great. That is a yeah. that is a step above most movies which pretend even in 1980 that there are no gay people in right. in New York City, you know, just craziness like that, right? Mm-hmm. They just they just pretend that they don't exist. So, in some ways it's a step forward, but of course, 
um, you know, as as uh, gay advocates would point out, when all of the movies that we have are not just like negative stereotypes, but like serial killers, <laughs> you know, right. um, that, uh, you know, up in, in the early 1990s, they start writing about that in full force and being like after um, The Silence of the Lambs and Basic Instinct come out, right. they're like, hey, you know, great, gay, gay visibility, sure, but it doesn't matter if they're all serial killers, right? <laughs> right, so, right? So, like, being a lesbian in the early 1990s in cinema meant that you killed men. Like that was that was the right. only the only representation at all. Um, wow! So it's it's you're not even you're not even like portraying harmful stereotypes. Right. You're portraying monsters. Yeah, like, you're portraying myths, right? Yeah, they like like yeah, yeah, yeah. what uh, what straight people's fears are. Um, yeah, right. So it's yeah, it's beyond like oh, gay gay guys can't throw a ball and lesbians <laughs> lesbians uh, like tools or something like that, which are harmful stereotypes. Mm. But it's like it's right. like these are you know the first that you're hearing about gay people in movies is that they are out to kill straight people. Right. Yeah. That, that's a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that has changed a little bit, but yeah. So, it, it, you know, you can look at individual movies, Silence Lamb's fantastic movie, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the bad guy thinks that he is a transgendered and is murdering women to steal their skin, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so again, when that's the only, the only trans person, well, you know, um, as Dr. Lecter says, he only thinks he's a transsexual, but like, that's a cop out, right. right? You know, that's yes. a cop out. He's a yes. trans person. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so that the only trans person in movies, you know, 10 years before and 10 years afterwards, is a serial killer. I mean, you know. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So. So and then we also had people talking about uh, directly how cruising led to violence. There was a um, the writer of Philadelphia, Ron Nicewander, who's a screenwriter and mm-hmm. advocate. He said that he and yeah. his uh, his boyfriend were walking in New York and they got gay bash and, and they specifically uh, got gay bash. And their, their attackers were, were talking about like we saw cruising and we know what you all are like, you know. Oh, yeah, Jesus. terrible things like that, you know. And when you say when you say gay bash, you you mean like like, like attacked, physically yes, attacked, like physically yeah. attacked. Yeah, oh, God. yeah. So you know, uh, so there, you know, um, you look at individual movies, you're like, oh, this has individual merits, but but that's why organizations like Glad exists, right? About like, oh, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. what is the grander picture, right? Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Movies are definitely like you know a. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Like a snapshot mm-hmm. of, of history, but then they can also be like, not just snapshots, but they can be like, you know, fictional uh, nightmarish paintings as well. <laughs> right. Um, and they impact give, the society. They don't just reflect, they create the society. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So some of these, some of these uh, images can be very, very mm-hmm. harmful. Oy. God. Um, so now, in the movie, um, Bateson's character is actually he. In, in, I'm talking about in The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a very calming, very good bedside manner, trying to uh, soothe Reagan as uh, she goes through this scary process. It's it's weird <laughs> knowing what we know now. That calming, soothing voice it, like hits a little bit different. But like in the movie, it's supposed to be seen as like you know this guy is gently mm-hmm. uh, guiding this little girl through this scary operation. Mm-hmm. Right? He's calling everything out as it happens. He's like, hey, like you know, like this is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing here. Uh, like the way Dr. Klein was like, oh, look, this is your temperature right back in the yeah, previous. Yeah, isn't this neat? Look at this thing, Reagan. Like, it, yeah, isn't this cool? This is what we're going to do. Even just a, a digital thermometer, he's taking the time to explain. Right, right. Like, and there's even like in, in later minutes, like he's going to, he's going to like remark like how like the the little sticky things mm-hmm. are like, oh, very sticky. It's like, this is yes. cold. This is, mm-hmm. you know, like calling it out like before, like, and, and like I've, you know, it's like I've taken some, you know, like child psychology classes mm-hmm. in my day. And it's like, yeah, when you validate something like that for, for a kid that's experiencing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, isn't this weird? Isn't this, isn't this like, like different, like that kind of like gives them, you know, this sense of it's like, Oh, okay. It's like, like 
it, it's okay that I think that this thing is cold mm-hmm. or it's okay that I think that this thing or this sound is weird or this, this texture is like sticky, this, this doctor thing that they're sticking on mm-hmm. me, right? Because the, because the nurse said it or the doctor said it, like he knows. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I feel a little bit better. Right. So, so that's exactly what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this is the first minute that we notice, like if we look how pale Reagan looks and especially like her lips look really dry mm-hmm. and chapped right like like we see them a, a little bit closer later but i always thought she had like mm, like bite marks mm. at, at this point like or or at least like huge cracks right as if as if this were the first stage of like the big uh transformative like makeup process i don't yeah. know i don't i don't I don't know if this is like stage one or stage zero. I don't know if we've started the the, the transformation right. yet or if this is just like, you know, it again, like how insidious it is. Like, but it all I know is that it doesn't look like when we had that close up of her on the bed, like when she's talking to uh, mom, like about Burke Dennings and stuff like that's that's not the Reagan that we are seeing now. Right. right? We could probably go back and look. This might be stage two or something of the makeup that Dick Smith is putting on, you know, because because they would, you know, they would a makeup designer again, like they makeup designers don't necessarily get a lot of credit um, of what they've done, like sound designers until the late 1960s with those Planet of the Apes makeup effects. Right. And yeah, so, so, um, but what they do, I mean, they do think about like day to day. They don't just say like, this is the look for Reagan and that's it for the entire movie. You know, they, they do it have by, by story day by story day. So this might be a little further along even. We have to go back and look at it. But yeah, this is the first time I notice it for sure. Right. We start to see her, her cheeks being a little more sallow and she, she looks, yeah, frightfully pale. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that is everything from my notes. Uh, Kenan, is there anything that we missed in this? No, movie? I think we got a whole lot of gross stuff. Yes. A lot of, a lot of, this, this is an uncomfortable minute. Um, <laughs> but hey guys, good news. Don't worry. The next minute. Uh, oh, oh there's only what? A hundred and there's only how many minutes do we have left? We have 70 minutes left. 70 minutes left. Yeah. No, yeah. no 80 minutes left. Jeez. Oh minutes, yeah. gosh. Well, oh. It's this new math. Yeah. You know, you know. <laughs> Folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can find me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark, and you can comment and tell me if I look like uh, Prince Adam from Beauty and the Beast or Quasimodo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. He, he looks like Prince Adam from Beauty and the Beast. Wow. <laughs> when he's shaved, for sure. Yes, yes. When he doesn't have a beard. <laughs> and I have been Keenan Diaz, and you can find me on Letterboxd and Instagram as Howdy Keenan, K-Y-N-A-N. Uh, we also have a Facebook page for the show, The Exorcist Minute, so like and follow that for updates. And we have a listener group. It's called Compelling Conversations. So, you know, come and join and then you'll be in here with us uh, and you can post memes, interact with fans, talk with us. We're also pretty active uh, on there. And uh, yeah, we already got a lot of cool people in there already. Uh, Lastly, if you like our show, the best thing you can do for a podcast that's just starting out is to Hop on over to your uh, your uh, you know your iTunes or your Spotify and and leave a little five star review and that'll help us reach more people and keep growing this cool community. All right, Keenan, I think that's it. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of Prince Adam, Adam compels you. I'm never going to get over that. Howdy, Keenan. That's so perfect. That wasn't for the show, folks. Oh, no. I, I would say howdy all the time. I, I talked about that a little yes, bit. I think yeah, we were talking, yeah. Like, I, I moved to Las Vegas and I was like, well, I'm in the West now, partner. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was eight years old. I didn't know anything. I just want to see eight year old you with the with the same face that you have in mm-hmm. a ten gallon hat, like <laughs> your hands your hands on your hips, right? Line looking, dancing as we did in yep. gym class in mm-hmm, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs>